Thanks for tuning in to the XL Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby-Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with perfectionism expert Gordon Flett about the impact of perfectionism on lawyers. Gord's a psychology professor at York University in Toronto and Canada Research Chair in Personality and Health. Gord's work on the role of perfectionism in health and mental health has received widespread national and international attention and been the subject of numerous media stories, including coverage on CTV, CNN, and the BBC. Welcome to the XL Legal Podcast, Gord. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for being here. I know that you are a man in demand these days with perfectionism being such a hot topic in the news. Something I've heard you refer to as a pandemic. Yes, yes. Uh, That refers to the fact that when we look at the numbers of people who are perfectionists, according to established measures, that there's so many of them, it's starting to become a great concern given some of the other things that perfectionism can become related to. Uh, So with with adolescence, research indicates that at least three out of 10 have some kind of maladaptive form of perfectionism. And uh, the pressures are indicated in over half of the high school students. And you find the same sorts of things with with adult participants uh, from a variety of different samples that um, when you're looking at people who fall into a category of perfectionistic based on how they've responded, that you're looking at least one out of four, maybe more. And a recent meta-analysis that was done looking at scores over time uh, over the last 30 years indicates that the pressures of perfectionism are on the upswing Uh, because there's been significant increases across different elements of perfectionism across the last 30 years. This was done with university student samples over the last 30 years. That's so interesting. And and why do you, why is the increase uh, in perfectionism a problem? Well, it's a, it's a problem in a variety of ways. It's just so much pressure and stress that's involved with perfectionism that accompanies it. So uh, that that's one of the ways it becomes a real significant concern because that will translate into how you feel about yourself, but the stress also translates into physical health problems. And uh, there's a growing literature on that side of the perfectionism angle as well. And generally speaking, that that kind of pressure is is the sort of thing that uh, really can shut people down. And we say that, you know, people typically, they, they might be a perfectionist or they know a perfectionist and they know that it's not easy at times to be around people who are perfectionists and the actual perfectionists find that it's not easy for them to be around themselves at times either. So mm-hmm. there's a variety of concerns that go along with this upswing. And, you know, in terms of why maybe we're seeing this, I think social media for uh, one is one, one factor because we have these people who are going online and portraying themselves as, as if they're perfect, which we call perfectionism self-presentation or acting like their life is perfect. And then other people see this and think, well, I've got to up my game as well. Not realizing mm-hmm. that some of these people are being totally false and are not representing how their lives actually are. Even people in their early adulthood, when they're in that 20 to 30 range and they're thinking, geez, I don't really certain what I want to do yet. I mean, the, the one thing about lost school students I, I've always admired is that they knew pretty well what they wanted to do. Yet there's many people who really don't know what they want to do until they find out later in life what their interests 
really turned out to be. Um, and, and as a result, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty that leads you to want to compare to other people and you can go online and see what other people are saying is going on. And, and now it's not just comparing your grades or how you did on a paper. You can try to compare lives and uh, there's nothing positive that comes out of this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Actually, it reminds me of a, a quote, and I don't know if I've got this right. Uh, Janice Joplin, many years ago, when she was asked if she was, she thought she might be in danger of burning out her voice while she was still so young, uh, she said something to the effect of, I'd rather be great once than mediocre forever. <laughs> yes, I can <laughs> and, understand that. Yeah, and I, and I think, particularly when we're talking about lawyers, working in such a high-achieving profession that that is sort of a common narrative. Yeah, it's that drive, not, but, you know, the key definitional difference is not just to excel, but to be perfect and, and to knock one out of the park to use baseball language. I have to remind myself that baseball's coming back someday. <laughs> someday. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, what's at the root of that striving at that level and uh, my colleague who's a clinical psychologist has talked about this, is that people have this idea that, you know, if, I, if I'm just great, uh, then the people in my life who may me not be giving me the attention or the love, respect that I think I should have, well, they'll come around, you know, if I, if I excel to this level, if I win the gold. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people discover that the people who are in their lives are the way they are, and not even doing that is good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but that pressure to always be at that level and to feel like you can never make a mistake can just be something that can eat away at somebody and, and just keep that, that stress going. And I have to say with Janice Joplin, she also had another quote, which again, I'm not going to say exactly correctly, but it's about not having to be perfect. So why not? <laughs> <laughs> she said, you know, uh, on stage she was famous and, and then she'd be going home alone. And yeah. uh, this is the thing as well that goes along with some of this excessive striving and workaholic tendencies is you get very isolated socially. And, uh, you know, there's a problem that even for successful perfectionists that because they're so focused on work or if they've demanded it from other people, that might drive some people away out of their lives and they have significant problems with loneliness and, and a sense of isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a subset of the work we do tests what we call the perfectionism social disconnection model. And this is the idea that one of the reasons why perfectionists can be in jeopardy if they're not feeling great about themselves is that they don't have the social support network that goes along with it because they've isolated themselves. Um, and you know, other people have not really connected with them. And, and sometimes it's simply because you've been working so hard and you haven't had time for balance. Right, right. Is there ever like a time when perfectionism can be helpful? Is there an upside to perfectionism? Is there an upside to perfectionism? (laughs) We're always careful how we answer this because, you know, it would seem on the surface, why would so many people want to be perfect if there was no upside to it? So the way that we frame it typically is that there can be some limited upsides to perfectionism in the short term, but we have to weigh it in terms of the cost versus the benefits. So it might give you that extra energy, it might give you that extra push or advantage. Um, and, and the other way we talk about this is, you know, you might wanna be 
striving for perfect in one or two things, but when it becomes all consuming and it goes across your entire life, then, then it's become a problem. So something that might be working for you now in terms of perfectionism might not be working for you later on in life. And you can just think about somebody who's trying to retire, who's been a driven perfectionist all of their lives, and now they're going to retire. Well, they may not have built up the balance that you need in terms of interest and social network to have a soft landing in terms of retirement. And, uh, you know, that's, that's something that people, as they get older, the perfectionists still don't seem to lose their perfectionism. The other thing is about, about the idea of, does it have any, any positive side to it, is that, you know, we typically say that anything that's good that comes from perfectionism likely would also come from excellent striving. Hmm. You know, there's a, there's a great uh, payoff just for striving to be excellent or conscientious as opposed to hyper-conscientious. And the big thing that really seems to distinguish these, these different levels of striving is that extreme perfectionism tends to come along with a great dissatisfaction so that even when you're doing fabulously well, you may not be seeing that in terms of your own appraisal. Other people might be more willing to recognize it than you do. So we know of many famous people who are perfectionists who sadly never seem to enjoy the ride, never seem to enjoy their accomplishments. So here I'm talking about people like Bruce Springsteen who suffers from depression and uh, always is, you know, not, not releasing songs that end up being other albums because he deemed them not good enough at the time, yet they're sources of joy and happiness for the people listening to them. Um, Prima Ballerina in Canada, Karen Kane, talks about this in her autobiography called Movement Never Lies, where she said that her extreme perfectionism, which of course is called for, and that's the thing, you know, people will say, well, you know, I'm required to be perfect at times with the demands on me. Um, mm -hmm. But she said that, you know, perfectionism and how she saw herself had two down, down, uh, points for her in terms of consequences. One was that she said in over 10,000 performances, there were fewer than 15 that gave her any satisfaction. And a deep regret was the fact that, yeah. you know, she's world-class, world-famous, danced with the greats, yet didn't really seem to enjoy it and wish she could have sort of done it all over again, but by striving a little, a little less in terms of the evaluative standards. And the other thing she said was a great sense of being an imposter at times. And what she says in her autobiography that really troubled her the most is when she knew that she'd make and made a key mistake or two that she couldn't get out of her mind, yet she was still getting the wild applause of the audience and it just made her feel like a phony. Mm -hmm. So that tells you there's a lot of internal self-concept dynamics that are driving that, that level of striving. And sadly, that, yeah. you know, it's that lack of satisfaction is really at the core. Yeah, and it is so sad because all the people you've mentioned are so accomplished. Yeah, there's a long list of famous tortured perfectionists. And, you know, I've often thought that when, when I get to retirement, which might be looming, who knows, um, <laughs> I really think we need to look at perfectionism in the personal context by looking at people who are well-known, accomplished perfectionists, yet, you know, had these achievements. Another one that's more relevant to my, my age range is the, uh, the famous beach boy, Brian Wilson, who has his own significant problems with uh, emotional problems and drug and alcohol. And, and at one point was feeling very suicidal 
and actually told his gardener to dig the grave in the backyard because he was going to advance prepare for his own demise uh, because of the way he was feeling. And at the root of this, and this goes back to social comparison, is that he felt that he had to keep up with the Beatles during the Beatlemania phase of the 1960s, where they'd have like three or four or five hit albums in in a row within a year um, at the peak of it. And, you know, he felt that he had he had to keep up with that uh, as a standard for how you needed to be if you're going to be famous. And part of his story was he was driven by a father who was quite abusive and used to hit him. And so it wasn't just that he was putting the pressure on himself as the main uh, writer of the songs for the Beach Boys, but also they had a father who was pushing them according to very perfectionistic standards. So mm-hmm. I, I use these as cautionary tales because you say to somebody, well, you know, you shouldn't always be so pushing yourself to be perfect. But sometimes you have people in your lives or work requirements where you really do need to do this and it's not an option. And then that, of course, could lead you to feel kind of trapped and constrained and, and how uh, so <laughs> unfortunately, then you can relate to pandemic conditions. But these are your life conditions generally in terms right. of you know, being in a role that you, that you wish you could get away from for a while. Yeah, I wanted to sort of pick up on something you mentioned uh, a couple of times, the sort of mental and physical health issues that uh, can be attributed to perfectionism. The, the two mental health conditions that are focused that on the most with perfectionism are anxiety, which is, is rampant with, with perfectionists. Perfectionists tend to be people who worry a lot and can suffer from anxiety issues. Uh, my colleague, for instance, it could take many different forms, uh, treated, treated a woman who suffered from extreme agoraphobia and hadn't been out of her house in over a decade. And uh, part of that was driven by need to feel that she had to live up to impossible expectations. Um, the other one is depression, because you're always judging yourself by standards that if you accept that nobody can be perfect, yet your self-worth is geared towards needing to attain that level, you're going to be exposing yourself to a lot of discrepancies in terms of how you actually are versus where, where you should be. So you can feel eventually like a failure or, or at least demoralized if your goals are being blocked, if uh, you, you aren't having conditions that allow you to keep achieving, that can be very frustrating as well. So you can have depression, demoralization, and some frustration and anger. Um, Mm -hmm. And sadly, we see situations where this can escalate into even suicidal tendencies. And, you know, this came known generally to the world in terms of the legal profession in a paper in 1995 called The Destructiveness of Perfectionism, where it was talked about in terms of the uh, White House lawyer um, who was a friend of the Clintons who who took his own life. and it was at the time when it was around the Whitewater scandal. But what people talked about, it was talked about in this paper, The Destructiveness of Perfectionism, is the link that's there often between extreme perfectionism and extreme self-criticism. Mm-hmm. And then sadly, what happens with many people is uh, they're perfectionistic. These are people who don't seek help. They uh, hide behind a front as if the things are perfect and they're perfectly competent. So. So one of the things I would, you know, encourage people to do is if they know somebody like this or they themselves know somebody like this, that, you know, there's no shame in in reaching out to get help. 
Uh, and you can always say to yourself, this is not just me. There's so many others who are responding to the pressure this way. When you're feeling like you're a failure, you tend to feel ashamed and you keep it to yourself and the pressures continue to mount. Um, and I've often said it's really kind of sad that you couldn't get a group of people together who have the same concerns and they realize then that maybe it's not something about them that is defective or wanting, but it's the pressures of the, the, the role and, and the, the demands that they, they have had tried to deal with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And perhaps the, the culture, so the work culture um, yes, yeah, that they find themselves in. That's the other thing, you know, and in terms of prevention, it's always focused on the individual. But, you know, for people in organizations where this pressure is being put on people, it might be a good time to stop and reexamine these pressures and find out, you know, are we really doing things in terms of the work-life balance and talking about the employee's health and mental health? Or is it more lip service? Because literally a cultural organizational focus on this where, you know, you might have a few key people who are unrelenting in their demands for other people. Um, and, you know, we got to remember, though, people are people. And uh, uh, there, there are actual people who are this demanding. If it becomes a cultural focus. Then you're going to see people falling by the wayside, either in terms of their emotional and physical health. But also, they could just be very likely to leave the organization if possible. So, so mm-hmm. if I were to see an organization where there was an inordinate degree of turn, turnover, and, and especially, you know, junior lawyers leaving the profession, I'd want to say, what's going on there? And I would bet that it's likely a function of some unrealistic expectations without the supports being put into place that would help people realize those expectations. Unfortunately, we do hear that quite often. Yeah, yeah, sadly. Uh, a common complaint in the profession. Yeah, and you know, because lawyers are so used to solving problems and feeling like they should be the problem solvers themselves, as opposed to um, you know mm-hmm. looking outside of themselves and seeking help. I'm wondering if there are any sort of signs that a lawyer's pursuit of excellence has become or sort of has entered into um, the problematic perfectionism that you're talking about. Is there anything that others might be able to help identify or a a lawyer, him or herself might be able to see as something that they work on? It's tricky because as I was saying, there's a lot of putting on a front and not really letting on how things are, but there are things like initially the lead into that theme hit on something which is a sense of always feeling responsible Uh, no matter what happens they feel a great sense of responsibility and you know so if you see somebody who's always willing to take some blame or some responsibility even when it's far removed then that somebody's probably judging themselves according to perfectionistic standards somebody who seems to need control more than would be usual um, and is not able to relinquish control to others that's also mm-hmm. a sign. Uh, perfectionists tend to get frustrated working in, in teams, especially if they have those expectations of others as well. Um, any anything that reflects that sense of not being satisfied as well. When you know, I think a, perfectionism would not be as big a problem if people were able to get a sense of joy or pride or accomplishment out of a job well done, as opposed to okay, that's over with. Now I got to move on to something else without any 
uh, patting oneself on the back or even taking some time out for some self-care and self-reflection. Um, I would also say that anybody who's overly bothered by a mistake where mm -hmm. they seem to keep coming back to something um, and they can't, they can't let it go. Um, we've talked about in, in our work case example of an author who made a textbook mistake and he couldn't stop thinking about this to the point he actually became suicidal. Um, wow. And it was probably a mistake that others would say, hey, you know, people make mistakes and they might not even notice it, but he had this tendency to just keep ruminating about it over and over again. So not being able to let go of things uh, in terms of, of the mistake as well is, is another. And uh, two other things I'd highlight, if somebody is working way too long on something, so they've got that perfectionism, procrastination combination, almost a double jeopardy. Uh, if somebody within reasonable limits is not getting something, then they're, they're telling you something in a way um, because they're probably trying to do too much in a way that's going to be not, not good for anybody, especially themselves. And uh, related to this, something that may or may not be something that's visible, but it's important to note is that you know, the self-concepts of perfectionists are such that they're often overrepresented among those who have the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they, they feel like they're not measuring up in, in ways, but in fact, they're surpassing expectations, according to most people, but they can't, they can't see, them, see it themselves. So, yeah, I would say, you know, if you're talking to someone and they, they have some of these attributes, you start to piece it all together and it's probably some issue with perfectionism, whether it's what we call self-oriented perfectionism, which is the personal standards and the sense of being driven, or the other oriented, which is demanding perfection from others. And then the flip side of that we call socially prescribed perfectionism, which is the feeling or perception that others are expecting you to be perfect, that it's being demanded of you. We almost call that uh, socially imposed perfectionism. And we find with those people that, you know, it, sometimes it's the case that there are actually people or work requirements where they are having those demands placed on them and it's veridical. But we also find a subset of people where it's more of a social construction where they've come to their own conclusions that this is the way they have to be in order to get approval and recognition from others. And, uh, you know, they've really magnified the pressure on themselves by taking that, that outlook. Would you tend to see one or another in one individual or could there be a combination? Right. Um, those are the three dimensions that are measured by our scale called the multidimensional perfectionism scale. And we know from well, almost three decades of work now that the scores on that tend to be intercorrelated so that if somebody's high on one, so let's say they're high on self-oriented, they're also likely to be high on other oriented or socially and socially prescribed. But also having said that, we know that there are all different combinations. So in the test manual for that, it's published by multi-health systems and based in Toronto, we have case examples of people with all three, which are mm -hmm. more easy to find these people because they are intercorrelated. But then you'll find some that have just one of the features. So somebody who is primarily demanding it from other people and seems to have no awareness of their impact on other people. And the ones that I feel sorriest for are the ones that are just high in that third component, the socially prescribed. Um, because to be high on just that means you 
are feeling an incredible pressure to live up to social expectations that are at a very high level, but you've not internalized this at all in terms of how you see yourself and your own personal values and identity. So it's almost like this great imposition on you that mm. is outside your control, but it's ever present. And this is the dimension that's most consistently linked with physical and mental health problems and including suicidality. And that reflects a sense that at an extreme level, you almost are setting yourself up uh, for a sense of helplessness or hopelessness. And we have one item on our scale that's essentially along the lines of the better I, I do, the better I'm expected to do. So even success means the bar is raised even higher. Hmm. As anybody who's been promoted to a position that's quite high knows what that feels like. Where, okay, mm -hmm. yes, uh, mm -hmm. celebrate my successes, but now you want me to do what? Um, yeah. And then that's where the imposter syndrome might, might kick, kick mm -hmm. back in. So, so when somebody yeah, has that, I... they, need, they need some coping strategies about how they can alleviate the pressure and problem solve in a way that it doesn't end up imperiling them and other people. Right. And what might some of those coping strategies be? Oh, well, there's a wide, wide range of things. Uh, and, and it's important to look at it from that perspective because classic theorists of the concept of hope, I think hope is, is the key for just about anything, including getting through the pandemic experience that if you're a hopeful person, you can withstand a lot more than the person who's pessimistic or cynical about the future. Um, so coming up with specific strategies combined with a positive outlook is, is the two key elements of hope. Now for perfectionists, it depends on what type of perfectionism, certainly, and what the actual realistic situation is for, for these people. But um, first thing that we say is that people have to do is their own self-examination of the importance of being perfect. Uh, famous uh, therapist and theorist Albert Ellis, who looked at irrational beliefs in a chapter in, in our book in 2002, said the key to dysfunctional perfectionism is the irrational importance that it's attached to. Uh, you know, how, if somebody says, I just, it's absolutely important, I'm, I must be perfect, well, that alone is putting too much pressure on oneself. So for that, for that individual, I'd say, well, find out where you need to be perfect. If you really have to be that perfect, maybe limit it to one or two things or one or two cases if you wanna look at it from a legal perspective. Um, and not make it an all or none thing where I have to be perfect at this utmost important level across the board. So, so that's one thing is to look at, and Alice used to say, one of the ways you could teach yourself about just how irrational the importance is of trying to be perfect is that you intentionally go out and you make mistakes. Mm -hmm. and you see that people actually, sometimes when you make a mistake, as long as it's not life or job threatening for you or someone else, you find that sometimes you're actually liked more because you made a mistake and now seem more human to people rather than mm -hmm. having to put on this, this facade of perfection. Um, a big thing that goes back to the self-criticism is that perfectionists need to learn a degree of self-compassion and self-forgiveness. It's almost like they see this itself as a weakness. Mm -hmm. If I'm self-compassionate, then why am I making an excuse for myself? But Everybody is going to be capable of making a mistake. Um, sometimes when you're just exhausted, you're not at the top of your game and you have to allow for that. Um, so self-compassion, self-forgiveness, 
Um, especially when you're thinking about past mistakes that you've made, you can't stop thinking about. Another thing is to stop comparing with others. I've talked about that a little already, but it's the sort of thing that, you know, there's not, nothing positive that comes from that um, mm -hmm. because you don't know what's been going on in somebody else's life versus your own life. And, and uh, you know, just, just stick to yourself and not, not worry about how you stack up relative to others. Um, I think another key thing is, is what Carol Dweck talks about, a growth mindset. This is the idea that, when you make a mistake, it doesn't mean that you're a flawed person, which she called the fixed mindset. Um, mm -hmm. The growth mindset is that we're all lifelong learners. It's especially important for lawyers starting their career. You know, why should you be expected to know everything and to always make the right decisions and say the right thing um, when you've had such limited experience? You find with famous people that their fame only occurred after they had many failures and many setbacks. So she said, you need this sort of incremental view of yourself where you're developing throughout life. And, uh, you know, this goes right through to, to older age because you can always learn new things and, and new things about yourself. And somebody who, who uh, famous perfectionist who hasn't suffered from it as much, who has this was Arnold Schwarzenegger, the governor, <laughs> the terminator, whatever you want to call him, now doing great <laughs> videos online with his animals in his kitchen. If you need a break, find those. They're worth a laugh. Um, anyway, uh, he said in his autobiography that he was raised to be striving for perfection, which goes into his early bodybuilding focus. His brother as well, and his father was somebody this, but her father, his, his father said to him and his brother that when you make a mistake, you don't want to repeat it, but what you do want to do certainly is to learn from it and to mm -hmm. not beat yourself up so that you become resilient to mistakes and setbacks and, mm -hmm. uh, and realize that you are developing. So, so that, that's key. And, mm -hmm. and like I said, um, the other thing is the importance of examining the work culture. If, if there is an environment where this is being called on, um, finding some ways that you can talk to people about restructuring things so that the pressure is not there and if the pressure has to be there then make sure the supports are also there as well in terms right. of the social support and the understanding and uh, coaching for people when they're getting totally into the workaholic burnout phase that that uh, really is damaging i have to say here by the way the uh, person who invented the concept of burnout freudenberger was a psychologist who suffered greatly from burnout himself and in his original work, he talks extensively about perfectionists as prime mm. candidates for burnout. And at the root of it, he said, and I think he was talking about himself in many, many spots of his first book, was uh, the root of it is this, these unrealistic expectations that I was mentioning earlier, that if I am perfect, then these other great things are going to happen. Or in a medical context right now, we're worried about burned out frontline medical people. If I am perfect, I will be able to save this person, even though we know that, you know, there's no treatment or antidote, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, and I think that's what's setting up a lot of people for for their their traumatic reactions is this sense. Well, I know nobody can do this, but I should be able to do it, right? You know, right. And I am responsible. And then when things turn out the way they are, which is beyond control, there's this self blame tendency. So, a really big thing though is 
we say, you know, in the debate about whether perfectionism has an adaptive side, where much of the problem with perfectionism is how people turn on themselves against themselves when things are not perfect. We call it mm-hmm. perfectionism reactivity. So if you're able to strive for perfection, but then you learn I can't beat myself up when I'm not perfect, then, then it's going to be still not great because of the stress, but it's going to be less amplified because it's when it becomes so personal as a defect or a flaw that, that you know, you want to stop any, any reaction. And this is why uh, something that distracts you away from yourself, that calms you down like mindfulness is mm-hmm. also in, included. <laughs> and I say, you know, mindfulness to some degree takes some energy. So I said, I, I also think people, if they want to perfect anything on their downtime, perfect a, a state of mindlessness where you're <laughs> looking at stuff that doesn't matter. And it's just like, you know, letting your brain recharge and having some downtime uh, because <laughs> I'm pretty sure based on lawyers I've known and uh, our daughter who was trained to be a lawyer and, and is a lawyer is that, you know, you need time to shut off the switch, the mental switch, where you're not thinking about yourself or what you need to be doing. You're just going with the flow for a while. And uh, I, I once said to a, a family member who is an extreme perfectionist, I said, you should try some mindfulness. And I was cut off in mid-sentence like any type A perfectionist. And so he said, I don't have time for that. <laughs> And, and now we're finding that she does have time in retirement. So, of course, I'm talking about my wife who's now retired. Um, <laughs> but there's a cautionary tale there as well because this is somebody who physically was in tip-top shape in terms of physique but had a very close health scare related to cardiac issues because of that stress and pressure of going, going, going all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not just holding yourself up to I have to have a perfect outcome. I have to keep busy all the time, which fuels that, that, that burnout and that workaholism. But the body needs time, the, the self-care that comes with a mindful orientation to rest and recharge, uh, to get the relaxation response and the sleep that will be protective. Because once the body has the stress that's chronic, that gets it internally inflamed, then you're set up for all kinds of health problems and, and potential diseases. As, mm-hmm. as genetic vulnerabilities kick in later in life. What about self-help books? Are they worthwhile? Generally speaking, there's a therapeutic benefit to those books in the sense that if it makes you more aware of how perfectionism might be affecting you and that you can then decrease the importance or not be automatically that way uh, right. when something comes up, that that's going to have a benefit. Um, but because we find that perfectionism is deeply ingrained, and uh, can start, you know, at the age of three or four or five or six, that if it's a serious problem, it's probably going to require a a person who is an expert in terms of getting to the interpersonal side of things that are Mm -hmm. often driving the perfectionism. And the interpersonal usually comes in the form of not feeling you've got that sense of mattering or love or respect or protection um, from your early care providers or mother, father, or whoever. Right. Um, right. At the same time, some people are perfectionists because they use it as a coping mechanism because they're, they've had an upbringing that's chaotic or unpleasant in a variety of possible ways. And we say, you know, that, that was understandable because it's sort of getting control over an uncontrollable early experience. But 
then that needs to be lessened to the striving for excellence and with a healthy dose of, dose of self-compassion or self-forgiveness thrown in. Uh, mm-hmm. Because of those, the health problems that might ensue from pushing yourself so much. You've offered so much helpful advice. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us, especially since I know you are sort of so busy on the interview uh, circuit these days. Um, yeah, so... Well, it's, uh, it's my pleasure. I just want to say, you know, to us, we do a lot of research where we focus on variables, but I mentioned famous people and not so famous people as well, because at the end of the day, it's about people. It's not about variables. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's such a shame when you see people who should be able to enjoy life more than they are and the people around them should be able to enjoy it more. And, uh, you know, we don't want to lose the great potential that, that everybody has to bring to the tables. We just need to temper it with some realistic standards and expectations with a strong dose of self-care thrown in there. Again, I just really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us about such an important topic. I know it's something that a lot of lawyers struggle with and feel ashamed about and aren't so willing to identify in themselves. So hopefully this will help um, provide some self-awareness. Thanks for the opportunity, Shelley. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the XL Legal Podcast. I hope you'll tune in next time when I'll be talking to Jamie Jackson Spanhake about managing the competing obligations of our personal and professional lives and her book, The Lawyer, The Lion, and The Laundry, Three Hours to Finding Calm in the Chaos. Before then, please reach out to me with your questions, topic ideas, and suggested guests for future episodes at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L.com.